0: Beloved, it has been a spectacular summer for us being with you. Janice and I have loved worshiping with you. Thank you for your warm welcome. I want to thank the elders publicly for entrusting to me the sacred privilege of sharing God's word with you. I'm thankful for my weekly meetings with Murray. You have a real gem there. Take good care of that boy. He's just awesome. He and Addie. And uh, thankful for the three families that had us for dinner this week when they heard it was our last week. woohoo! That was wonderful, too. We're going to finish 1 Thessalonians. And what I want to do is I just want to couple one verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 with one verse in 1 Peter 4. Right after the section on one another and that we looked at last week... Paul immediately exhorts his readers, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, with our focus on those three words, pray without ceasing, let me couple that with first Peter four seven. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your, now if you didn't know how Peter finished the sentence, how might you expect him to do so? Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your worship? your family, your work, your delighting in the Lord, your Bible reading. Those would all be really good ways to finish the sentence, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of those things. That is not how he finishes his sentence. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Jesus is returning at any moment. Therefore, Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Notice he doesn't tell you to pray. The sentence assumes what? It assumes you're praying. He assumes you're a praying person. And so the spirit of what he is saying is, let nothing thwart you continuing living in a spirit of prayer in light of the fact that Jesus is coming. The end of all things is at hand. So let's ask these questions of that verse. Number one, slightly different than your outline, what is an essential quality of a praying person. I'm just going to look at one. What's an essential quality of a praying person? Dependent desperation. Praying people are desperate. Vital people spiritually are driven to pray because they want to stay in contact with the source of all life, truth, goodness, grace, and love. Jesus. They're desperate to remain dependent upon Jesus. And you can imagine how, I won't unpack this, but how desperation fuels self-control and sober-mindedness. So now you know how you're a clear thinker. You're living your life every day, every moment in light of the final judgment. Jesus is coming again. That's what a clear thinker does. In fact, someone once wrote that that to deny we live in a moral universe where there's a judgment coming and accounting for everything all of us do, whether or not you believe that or not, there is a day of accounting coming. To deny that is like driving with your eyes closed. Perhaps even better, British author and apologist C.S. Lewis wrote this. If truth is objective and we live in a world we did not make, then the most destructive way to live is to deny that fact. That's right, isn't it? We live in a culture that feels horribly out of touch with the fact that truth is objective and this is not a world any of us made. So the idea is, you don't want creeping into your thinking anything that distracts you from the end of all things is at hand. Jesus is coming. I want, on, I want to be speaking with Jesus the moment he appears in glory. So both clear-headedness and self-control, they're good things in and of themselves, but Peter says they serve what greater purpose? They serve living in the spirit of prayer. Maybe Peter is recalling the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has gone a stone's throw from his disciples just before his arrest. He's praying to his father. And what does he turn and tell his disciples? He turns and tells his disciples, watch, and pray that you might not fall into temptation. I know this about myself. I'm not in my right mind if I'm not praying. And you need to know this about you. The best way to be prepared for the end of all things is to be, are you with me so far? Praying. Okay. A sober, self-controlled soul lives in a spirit of prayer, has a running dialogue with the Lord all day long. Second question. What does a praying person relish? That's easy. A praying person relishes the unspeakable privilege of speaking with God. That's stunningly Amazing. Now you're thinking, well, Mike, I don't have long periods of prayer. I feel guilty. This is not a guilt sermon. Just delete that. And yes, it's important, and I'll address this in a few minutes, to carve out time to pray. I don't want you, first and foremost, to think of prayer as, i got to get in my closet and just be quiet for a while. That's important. I'll talk about that. I want you to think of prayer as simply responding to the facts. And what are the facts? God is everywhere. God sees all, God hears all, God knows all, and he's in control of everything. So, you wanna be on speaking terms with that person, right? You wanna stick to that person like a blind person to their guide. And one of the reasons Murray told you just a few minutes ago that the Lord delights to hear our prayers is because what praying tells God about himself. We're telling God when we pray that he's sovereign, he's in control, that he's accessible, he has all the authority, that he's powerful, he has the ability to answer, and that he's generous, he desires to answer. God delights in our prayers first and foremost because of what it tells him about him. So why wouldn't you talk to God about everything? Everything. This is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. He wrote in Romans 12:12, 12, 12, be devoted to prayer. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit. He's not saying you don't drive. He's not saying you don't pay attention to your kids. He's not saying you don't go to work. He's saying live in a spirit of prayer. There's nothing we don't discuss with God. Nothing. And if that's true, it means at least this. The times you feel like praying are too precious to pass up, so pray. The times you don't feel like praying, and we all have them, are too, pre- too precarious to pass through, so pray. See? Got you coming and going. If you feel like praying, pray. If you don't, pray anyway. <laughs> so what's the alternative? What do you like? when you're not in a praying spirit? What do you like? You're probably not self-controlled and sober-minded. You're probably like me. I know my heart. When I'm not in a praying spirit, I'm content with the status quo. I'm content with how awful things are in this world and even in my own heart. That's why our prayers are often prompted by discontentment with the status quo, showing you how much you have in common with God. Do you remember what Murray prayed about earlier? He prayed about the things that are wrong in this world. Sickness, war, injustice, conflict. These things are wrong. They don't believe in God's good creation. And so our discontentment with these moves us to pray. That's why we're so confident God hears. He's discontent and disgusted with the way things are, even more so than we are. So prayer is God's way of changing the status quo. It is. Some people would maintain, "I I don't know if this is... Ultimately, true theologically, but God does nothing on earth except in the answer to people's prayers. You've probably heard about that. I don't know if that's true. But think about it. Our discontentment moves us with, with the status quo, moves us to pray, and it should. But watch out. <laughs> because if you are praying as you should, based on your discontentment with the way things are, you can't be content with the way you are. So, for example, I pray for some of you regularly, family members, other people. I will pray maybe with a specific person. Lord, help them with their pride. Well, guess what? I need to look at my own pride in that moment. Oh, Lord, I pray you'd make this person an excellent steward of their resources. Am I a good steward of my resources? Lord, so-and-so, they just need to be more grateful. Lord, don't let me be content with any measure of ingratitude in my own heart. Lord, would you please help that marriage Like for years I prayed for my daughter's future spouse. We didn't know him, but I prayed for him. I didn't know who he was, I didn't know his name, but I prayed for him. I couldn't not pray for my daughter's future spouse without asking the Lord to make me the man in my marriage that I want my daughter to be married to. Do you see what I'm saying? When you pray for God to change the status quo, Ask him to change you as well. And perhaps one of the reasons why we don't pray is we're just resigned with the way things are, both outside of us and inside of us. All right, I know what you're thinking. Prayer is mysterious, and it is. God does change things, He heals, He delivers, He provides, He helps. He rescues in answer to our prayers. He changes the status quo, but not always when, where, and how. We want him to. God, you learn when you pray, has his own timetable. Maybe that's one of the reasons in the Gospels Jesus taught his disciples about what in prayer? Persistence. He taught them about persisting in prayer. But beloved, it is mysterious But it is no, no doubt God hears our prayers. About 10 years ago I was in the market for a new car. I'm one of these guys that does hours and hours and hours of research. It's just really hard to pull the trigger until I'm absolutely certain this is is the right decision. So I'm in and out of the local dealership in, in, uh, in Lynchburg, in and out, in and out, in and out, and I'm doing research about the same car over in Roanoke. I finally got a good price on that, and I got the piece of paper, and I walk into the dealership in Lynchburg. I go into the um, sales manager's office with my little price. He's on the phone. He hangs it up, looks at me, and he goes, oh, you again. Well, I gave him a pass. He's obviously having a bad day. That's not the way I would do business, say, oh, you again? I bought the car in Roanoke. (laughs) More importantly, your father will never say to you, oh, you again. He might say, what took you so long, my child? but he will never say, oh, you again. Jesus taught us in Matthew 7:7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. So when we pray, are we asking? Are we seeking to get? That's an easy question. Yes, we are. But be prepared to give up. Because the one tell fact that we know God is discontent with the status quo is what he gave up. He gave up his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to change what is so broken and wretched about this world. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live among it. To be shamed, scorned, mistreated, to die as if he had committed the lives of 10 million sinners. If you ever wonder what God thinks of the status quo, look at the cross. That's God's commitment to change the status quo, His commitment to answer your prayers his commitment to love you, woo you to himself, and never stop loving you. That is our boast, that is our hope, that is our assurance, that is our victory, that is God's claim over you. I exchanged my son's welfare to make you my child forever. God changes the status quo, the cross is the proof. Third question, what does a praying person do It's gonna be a little simplistic here, but I'll mention two things. One, a praying person does carve out some time to just be quiet and be alone and be still and just be with the Lord. That's the best time of the day for me. I just love just time quiet with the Lord and his word. And I know you, because I know myself, There are three common objections uh, percolating in the hearts in front of me. The first objection is, of course, I don't have enough time. Why don't you do this? Ask Jesus for the time. See how he answers that prayer. Secondly, some of you would say, honestly, I don't have the desire to pray. If I start praying, I feel like a hypocrite. I feel dirty. I feel, I just, I just feel dead. I don't feel like praying. Can you be honest with God about that? He already knows that. <laughs> he, he knows everything about you. <laughs> he might even know the reasons in your heart you feel that way that you don't even know. So just say, Lord, here's the truth. You know the truth. I don't feel like praying, so help me. Help me. Just start there. And thirdly, some of you would say, I don't know what to pray. Now, we read from Romans 8 that glorious assurance that the Spirit intercedes for us. So there are times when you are praying, you want to pray, and you're like, Lord, you just, Spirit of God, help just make this prayer what it's supposed to be. That's not what I mean. That's a wonderful assurance. When when I'm talking about you don't know what to pray, it's like, okay, so what do I say to the Lord in the morning when I get up and have a time with him? That's, That's fair enough. One thing I have found immensely helpful that primes the pump of prayer is the word of God. I start with a psalm. There's plenty in every psalm for which to praise God, thank Him, petition Him, confess. I read Proverbs every day that corresponds with the, uh, the day of the week that it is. So this morning happened to be Proverbs 20. Man, I, I could spend hours just based on the Proverbs that are pinging my conscience, my heart of things to pray about. So use the Word of God. And one of the benefits of using the Word of God is it saves you from thinking like your culture thinks because he gives you the mind of he gives you the mind of the Lord. So I'm answer, Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. What does a praying person do? They carve out a time to just talk with the Lord, who longs to have fellowship with you. Can we just say, we really don't believe that, do we? I mean, the Lord longs to fellowship with his beloved. The other thing they do is they pray spontaneously. And a lovely acrostic to help you think about what what does that look like is the acrostic ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. So, driving from my Airbnb to Cherokee Park to run, I could do acts if I'm a praying person. Adoration. Lord, thank you for the freedom to do this. Thank, uh, I'm, not saying, I'm sorry, that's, that's not adoration. Praise you, Lord, for the glory of those flowers over there. Praise you for my eyes. This morning, anybody read Proverbs 20 this morning? I got a reminder. The seeing eye and the hearing ear, the Lord has made them both. Praise you for the glory of the human Christian. All right, so just open your eyes, and there's lots of things for which to adore the Lord. Confession. Oh, I got a lot to confess driving over there. My impatience, my criticalness of other drivers, this pl- <laughs> It doesn't take long to get in the car before I've got things I can confess. If the Spirit convicts you, confess. Things for which to give thanks, and then supplication. That's making petitions, asking for people. So my wife is a woman who spontaneously prays. So if we're walking along in the neighborhood and somebody pings her and she gets a text from somebody, she'll just start praying for what that need is. Or we have this coming up later on. She'll just, Lord, Lord, please. She just starts praying. She has a spirit of prayer. Doesn't take much to prime that pump. So those are two things praying people do. They find time to listen, to pray, and they live in a spirit of prayer. They're responding by talking to the Lord. Look, suppose you're working on the cure for cancer, or COVID, should you ask the Lord to give you the answer to that? Of course you should. If you're an engineer building a bridge for some highway, should you ask the Lord for the wisdom to know exactly how to build a bridge? Of course you should, of course you should. God is is interested in everything. Okay, I could go on. Let me finish with a fourth question. What does a praying person experience? There's more in the outline than I'm going to say, so don't, don't panic. But there's some, I do want to call your attention to this, because I want you to leave this sermon really excited and motivated about being a praying person. That's, why I want, that's how I want you to leave the sermon. What do they experience? The joy of answered prayer? How many of you know the joy of answered prayer? Specific answered prayer, yeah. Well, we, we pastors and elders long for the day when every hand goes out without hesitation. Because you're praying and you're seeing God answer prayer. Parents of young kids, get a journal, keep it on the hunt board in the dining room, and uh, after dinner, start taking prayer requests. Prayer request comes in from grandma or from Uncle Joe or whoever, write it in there. Keep a journal, and this is the story of our family and your kids will pass it down to their kids, down to their kids, so one generation is telling the next generation the mighty works of God. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You learn patience, because God doesn't answer our prayers when we want him to. You learn concrete ways to express your gratitude. He has to go to work. That's why he's leaving. I knew that. He's not protesting. Bye, Jason. Thank you for serving. So Psalm 116, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. What a curious answer. When you overcome with God's goodness to you, the benefits of the Lord to you, God says, pray. Um, Humility, we're reminded we're not in control. He's on his throne, we're not direction. Prayer often clarifies your vision. Am I where God wants me to be? Is this debt irresponsible? Am I a slave to my possessions? Am I loving the unlovable? And the last I want to point out is, is mercy. And here I have in mind, I've got it for in the outline, some, some of the richest verses in all of the Bible, particularly on prayer. The writer of Hebrews writes 4.14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. That's the fact. Prayer responds to facts. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then... Because of who Jesus is, he's a high priest. He ever lives to make intercession for you. He's reigning right now at his Father's right hand. He's always praying for you. Jesus is never not praying for you. Imagine that. Right now, Jesus is praying for you. In light of who Jesus is and what he's done and where he is, the writer says, let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I use this in my prayers all the time. I start my prayers with this. I say, Lord, I'm coming to the throne of grace. I'm confident not in me, not in my righteousness. I'm confident in you. You have all the power. You have all the desire. You have all the authority. You have all the control. There's nothing you can't do. My confidence is in you, Lord Jesus. And this is the throne of grace. Jesus Christ has earned the right to sit at his Father's right hand to ever live to intercede by going through the cross. He will use that authority. He will use that power. He will use that privilege, that position, because he earned it through his suffering. I think this is one of the most neglected places in the universe for Christians, the throne of grace. You should find yourself going there All the time. I don't say that to guilt you or to condemn you. There's this invitation. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And then the writer says two things. To receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, that about covers it. So when I pray this, I frame my, look, why wouldn't I frame my prayers this way? This is the word of God telling me about prayer telling me what happens at the throne. At the throne, sinners receive mercy. Do you need mercy? This is a great reminder. Helpless people receive grace to help in time of need. So when I pray for myself and I pray for others, I pray mercy over them. Lord, make them aware of their sins that they might know their mercy, the mercy that's theirs in Christ. Be glorified, Lord, as the source of that mercy. Let their lips drip in praise of your mercy. Let their minds be inflamed by your mercy, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And let their hearts be in the grip of your mercy, producing worship and humble, other-centered servanthood. That's how I start. Everyone I pray for, they get that prayed for them. And then he promises grace to help in time of need. Dude, that's, that's like an unlimited credit card from the Lord. Grace to help in time of need. You have a need, there's grace for it. There's a God who wants to help. So, what I do as I pray for the following people, I pray, Lord, you would, uh, out of the storehouse of the abundance of your grace and power, it's unlimited, there's nothing you can't do, would you give the following people grace for spiritual health, vitality, protection, and thriving? Financial health, thriving, vitality, protection, and thriving? physical health, thriving, vitality, protection, and cognitive and emotional and relational health, thriving, vitality, and protection. That's what I pray for them. And some, some people in some of those areas need a little more. Like my wife's ankle needs healing, so when I get to physical healing, I, I pray that for her. Some people I know need help, with; they struggle with money, so I pray that they would not be a lover of money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's... How, that's Do you see the mercy, the grace? When you pray this way, you're always reminded of what Jesus has done for you and what he still wants to do for you. That's a praying church, praying people. I'll close with a verse from John Newton's hymn on prayer. You know, John Newton wrote a lot of hymns. One was on prayer, and I think the second stanza, it's in the Trinity, the second stanza says this, and I'm often quoting this to the Lord too. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. I'll say it one more time. Actually, I'll just pray it over you, so let's pray. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. So at your throne of grace, Jesus, I ask you to give all of my brothers and sisters a praying spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.